Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Wonderful to be with you again today. It's been too long since my last visit. I'm aware that uh, there are several faces that are missing this morning, people that you have lost in this community since I was last here, and I grieve that loss with you. Um, I have to say uh, a confession this morning. Uh, I drove a car here instead of my motorcycle. <laughs> I, wimped, I wimped out this morning. I got up in the pitch dark. Even though the clock said 5.15, I knew it was 4.15. <laughs> and I decided that the car would be a okay option. I can see why you like it, you know? I mean, it's, it's warm, could listen to some music, have a little breakfast en route. Um, it's very seductive. I, I'm, you know, one of the reasons I don't do it very often is I'm likely to, to give into it. Anyway, it's a great gift to be here with you, to share with you in this season of Lent, and to reflect with you this morning on this story from the gospel of this dinner party at the home of Mary and Martha. I can imagine the invitation that went out prior to this event, carefully printed on lovely pastel stationery, inserted into one of those little tiny envelopes that you don't use for anything else. The invitation probably read something like this. Mary and Martha cordially invite you to dine at our home to celebrate the visit of our friend Jesus of Nazareth, who raised our dear brother Lazarus from the dead. Dress togas only. Please RSVP to MaryMartha at eternallygrateful.com. No gifts, please. If you wish to express your gratitude, please make a contribution to your local synagogue. The preparations for an event like this would have been complicated. They needed extra food, extra wine. <coughs> Accommodations needed to be arranged for all the disciples. How were they going to include the special guests that would be there from the community? After all, where do you seat the local rabbi who has been somewhat critical of Jesus in the past? And all of this to be managed and put together centuries before the building of the first Costco. And then, just when it looks like everything is going smoothly, Mary, in an act of extravagant gratitude, dips into her very best perfume, anoints Jesus' feet, and wipes them dry with her hair. This causes some eye-rolling and whispered comments around the room, but hey, the man raised her brother from the dead, which was also pretty amazing, right? And then, just when it looks like the party might recover that light-hearted, festive feeling that everyone enjoys, Judas makes a scene. Puffing himself up with self-righteous indignation in an effort to make himself look ever so good and holy, he decides to accomplish this by shaming Mary, and by extension, 
accusing Jesus of lacking compassion for the poor. Rightly so, Jesus just simply puts him in his place. But I have a feeling that while Judas fumed with righteous indignation in the corner of the room, an awkwardness haunted the rest of the dinner party. I'm afraid to say that we have arrived at a time in Christian history when righteous indignation is more common than actual righteousness. Time and again, it seems as though Christianity is one of the few remaining places where prejudice, racism, bigotry, and hatred can hide out under the guise of religious freedom. In recent years, as we've seen the rise of radical organizations like Al-Qaeda and ISIS, we hear voices demanding that the mainstream Muslim community renounce these organizations as being outside the bounds of the true Muslim faith. And while I can understand the desire to have our Muslim neighbors make that distinction, I think that the request lacks integrity unless we as Christians are willing to renounce the radical Christian elements in our own faith tradition who have strayed dangerously far from the teachings of Jesus. It's time for us to speak up. It's time for us to say openly that people who espouse hatred, bigotry, prejudice, and violence, who build walls instead of bridges, who spurn the refugee rather than welcome the stranger, who put obstacles into the path of the poor, who cherish loveless power rather than powerless love, are not walking the way of Jesus or heeding the call of the gospel. I think that heeding the call of the gospel looks something like the Via Crucis, called to the wall pilgrimage that will take place this coming Saturday when members of the Episcopal Dioceses of Los Angeles and San Diego, including Bishop Mathis and Bishop Suffragan Mary Glasspool, and I understand, under Gina's guidance, a group from here, will draw attention to the plight of immigrants as they travel the way of the cross from Los Angeles to the border with Mexico. Bishop Mathis of the Diocese of San Diego plans to co-lead the worship service from the Mexican side. People will leave the cathedral center here at 7.30 a.m., and gradually make their way south, stopping along the way to pray the Stations of the Cross. They will arrive at the border about 3 o'clock to pray the last Station of the Cross and to share in a bilingual celebration of the Eucharist, bearing witness to the plight of those affected by immigration and remembering that Jesus, too, was a refugee. Jesus said to us, You shall know them by their fruit. I believe that we must ask this hard question. Who is producing the fruits of the kingdom in this church, in this country, and in our lives? And let it be known that laying claim to Jesus is not the same as having Jesus lay claim to us in our words 
and in our deeds. The Christianity that I was immersed in flows out of the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians, where he says this, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things which my parents translated into raising us, kids, to affirm forgiveness, inclusion, salvation, and an open-hearted caring for the poor, the oppressed, and the lonely. Now, Paul is also painfully clear with regard to the behaviors that are not fit for the kingdom of God. Licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, evidence of which we can find on the front page of any newspaper, even on a slow news day. Given this penchant for perversity that we find in modern society, I believe that the most important act of faith that we can take these days is to live out every day the one new commandment that Jesus gave to his followers in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. And as the great biblical scholar and theologian Clarence Jordan noted, it is not enough. It is not enough to limit your love to your own nation, to your own race, to your own group. You must respond with love even to those outside of it. Respond with love to those who hate you. This concept enables people to live together, not as nations, but as the human race. Or, as Jesus put it in the Gospels, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If we are going to be a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom... It will be because we learn to make room for the other, for the stranger, for the poor, for the oppressed, for all the people that Jesus Christ died to save and rose to love. And the first step in this effort is to make room for the risen Christ in our daily lives. When I was in college, the Arizona State University, getting my degree in music, I sang in the Choral Union, a very large ensemble that basically was open to anyone on campus who could carry a tune. Uh, We performed two major concerts a year in in company with the Arizona State University Orchestra. One of these concerts each year was a performance of Handel's Messiah that took place in the Grady Gamage Auditorium on campus, a beautiful performing arts center designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. 
Now, the church I attended at the time was one that had its own school bus, and I had gotten my chauffeur's license so that I could drive the bus around town for church activities. So I would sell tickets to the Messiah performance to people at the church, and then we'd all meet up in the church parking lot, and I would drive everyone to the auditorium in the church's bus dressed in my performance tuxedo. Now, it's the evening of the performance, and I know this would never happen here, but in this little Methodist church, people were late. (laughs) Would you believe it? So we were late getting away from the church. Traffic was horrible. The parking lot was jammed. By the time I let people off up next to the auditorium and got the bus out into the far reaches of the parking lot where the buses were put, I was late, way too late, to go around to the back of the auditorium and to line up with the tenor section and march onto the stage. So with the wisdom that only comes from being 22 years old, I decided that I would go in through the lobby, up the staircase, into the main foyer, and down the aisle where I would leap up onto the stage and join the choir. But of course, I didn't take into account that the lobby was jammed with people, the staircase was worse, the main foyer was just a mob scene, but I tried to sidle my way along the edge of the wall so I could push past people until I came around a corner and was stopped cold by this big sign in bold letters that said, there are no reserved seats for the Messiah. There are no reserved seats for the Messiah, friends. It is so true. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. There are no reserved seats in this world for the Messiah. If there's going to be room for Jesus at this grand performance we call life, it's because we throw a coat over the seat next to ours and say, please, please, sit by me. I've saved you a place. If producing the fruits of the kingdom means anything, it certainly means this, to make room for the risen Christ in all the places of our daily lives. In the concert hall, in the lecture hall, at the border, in the voting booth, in the boardroom, in the courtroom, in our hospitals, in our homes and in our hearts.